Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Kate here. Welcome back to The Drop-In. I've just spent a bit of the morning listening back to some of my favorite clips from today's episode and Now I'm heading out for my coffee. I think this is going to be one you're really going to enjoy. First of all, just wanted to say thank you so much to all the St. Louis fans who got in touch after Lutz joined us last month. We love having you with us. Thanks for the messages. Now for this one, well, Champions League returns next week and the voice of today's guest is associated with some of the greatest nights in European football. If you think of the voice of this man, you might associate it with the opening goal of the 2010 World Cup, Roma's comeback against Barcelona in the 2018 Champions League, or maybe the 2022 World Cup final. Yes, I'm joined by Peter Drury, known by many people as the poet of football commentary because of the beauty of some of his phrases. We wanted to sit down with him and talk about some of his most treasured moments in football. His feelings about the new format of the Champions League, given that he's someone who really relishes the unpredictability of football. And first of all, to ask, because who better to speak to about this, what exactly is the point of a football commentator? Rodri, he's giving it away to Hoybier, and here's Kane! He sits on Tottenham's loftiest perch, beyond even the great Greaves. Spurs' most lavish scorer of all 
time. He has dared and he has done. Two, six, seven. And 200 in the Premier League. It's a, it's a very pertinent question and there'll be plenty who say there isn't one. Uh, and <laughs> very often I'm inclined to agree with them because um, especially if you commentate on big games, and sometimes I'm fortunate enough to do that, um, there's not a great deal you can tell people that they don't already know. And, you know, wh when you make your first um, steps into television, certainly from radio, the golden rule in theory about television commentary is that you shouldn't speak unless you can add to the picture. Uh, and if you take that to its ultimate, truth be told, you'd never speak at all. Um, except, I suppose, if you if you want me to justify my existence, which I struggle to do, um, <laughs> I think uh, it's possibly to reflect back at the viewer, the fan, the way he or she is feeling about the game. Somehow to articulate the narrative, to understand the narrative, and and to sort of um, voice it. Because mm. one of the things that you're really well known for doing is grasping those moments. People, all these mad people on the internet, fans of yours, put together these endless compilations of all of your your personal biggest moments, even though it might be Messi scoring a wonder goal, but it's the Peter Drury moment. Um, so it seems to me that one of the things you're doing is quite dramatic, and it's maybe more dramatic than many commentators working today. Is that is that how you see it? Well, it's, it, it seems to be that way. Um, I, I don't live in the world of social media, so I don't often see this stuff, and it's much healthier that way. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I suppose I do like the moment. I, I love language and I love football, and it's just the way it comes out. It's not something I seek to do genuinely it's not a it's not a kind of um this is a style that i'm going to go with it's just wow. the way i feel and i'm excited by it and it thrills me and that's kind of how i express myself it's the whole thing is utterly accidental um and so um you know if if that is what people approve of that's lovely and if that's what people don't don't approve of well i understand that why should they um, it's, but it, but it is just sort of what happens when I get excited. You wouldn't want to sit <laughs> next to me at a game. People say, you know, do you, do you set out to have a style or whatever? And I, and I honestly don't because I think that would be inauthentic. Mm, so you're not someone who's sitting there jotting down little lines as you go about your daily business. No, 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 absolutely not. No, I mean, listen, I prepare a game like everybody else does, and and um, I I never script a line for a game. Um, you know, the goal, you'd be crazy to write anything for anything that happens between the kickoff and the final whistle, because that's, you know, you're, you're predicting the unpredictable. That, that's silly. And if you try to imagine what you would say in the scoring of a goal, then that goal won't happen in the way you pre-imagined it. And mm. whilst your words might be broadly somewhere around the occasion, you'll find when you reflect on it that you haven't quite been in the moment so talking about being in the moment then this is this is years and years of practice is effectively what you're speaking to peter this is how you're able to 
first of all, be brave with your pause, right? Because lots of people, as you've already mentioned, might come out with too many words, whereas often you you let the pictures breathe a lot more than that. And that, again, is something from, from confidence, would you say, from the years that you've put in? Yeah, because honestly, um, that didn't used to be the case uh, of me, I know. And, you know, we all develop, don't we, over time? And, and the... The urge, I think, especially when you're when you're young and overeager and very nervous, is to um, exhibit what you've got, and so it all comes splurging out. When the when the ball hits the net, unless it's a really special statistic, and absolutely, you know, forever, you know, the the greatest ever or whatever. All anyone cares about is that their team has scored or their team has conceded. That's all that matters in the moment. It's a goal. It's a goal is all that matters. And then I think once it's all died down, you can say, and that was the goal that made Harry Kane one shy of Jimmy Greaves, or that was the goal that means, you know, whatever, you know, one of those sorts of things. But I think in the moment of the goal, all that matters is the goal. Yeah, yeah, I see what yeah. you mean. Do yeah. you f- do you feel like people then use that sometimes as a as a replacement for experience? Well, no. I mean, stats have a place. Stats have a place. They're absolutely valid. Um, but I, I I think we have as a kind of football watching public, and certainly as a football watching media, possibly become slightly too stats obsessed. I would say that. I think I do think some of the numbers are boring. Um, but that's only that's only my that's only my personal perspective because I like words more than I like numbers, and not everybody does. You know, the numbers are important, and and that you know that it sports is statistical. And when Harry Kane has scored as many goals as Jimmy Greaves, that's a phenomenal thing. But actually, I like that sort of statistic more because those are numbers that relate to people. You can you can conjure up a picture of Jimmy Greaves. We've all seen the film of him scoring wonderful, wonderful goals for Tottenham and Chelsea and West Ham at England. And then we've got our mental picture of Harry Kane. And that's that's really personal. And you can sort of see two great, iconic English strikers and the numbers draw them together. But um, get me down a conversation about XG and I'm afraid I'm into I'm into Snoresville. It doesn't help anyone to hear that someone is 26, for example. That was one that a friend of mine who's a commentator always gets really pissed off about. It's like the most average age of a footballer yeah, ever. Exactly, yeah. Tell me, how can you picture, can you think of the most nervous you've ever been to commentate before commentating a game? Um, well, I suppose there's always the first of everything. Um, you know, I remember doing my first commentary on local radio back in the very early 90s. Um, and I was, I was frozen to the spot, really. Uh, first first time on television, I was frozen to the spot. And and still now, before any really major event, um, you know, I pace up and down like a, you know, crazed idiot and mutter to myself and, and worry about it. You know, Kate, as well as I do, because you're in the broadcasting industry, that we're all only one foot in mouth away from something terrible happening and so when it's a when it's a big day and you know you know there is an attentive audience then you you're constantly aware and what are we all driven by in life apart from anything else lots of lovely things we're driven by but we're all also driven by fear of failure 
And I know every time I pick up a microphone, really, the bottom line is that I don't want to foul it up. <laughs> You're actually allowed to swear on here, but maybe you won't. <laughs> you won't want to be repeated uh, swearing around the place, given your voice is your, uh, is your, is your meal ticket. What is your favourite moment that you've commentated on? Has it changed? Because I've heard you say it was from 2010. No, there still is. That, I don't ah, think, is it? I, 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 still I thought is, you were going to tell me it might be messy now. Well, no, you see, that that's the thing. Um, I, I would say now that that World Cup final was the greatest game I ever saw. Right. Yeah, I, I, and how can it not be, really? How can it not be? I mean, that was the ultimate privilege. And it was, it was funny, the World Cup final, I was working with Alan Smith, who's a smashing bloke and, and a joy to work with and so on. And the funny thing about World Cups is you get to the end of them and you're knackered, you know, and really yeah. the at the moment you're supposed to peak, you're thinking, oh, when can we go home? <laughs> and I, you know, and I said to Alan before that game, um, what we need here is 2-0, Nice and clean, no mistakes, get out. Because, you know, and with 10 minutes to go, it was 2 0. We'd got both the moments right. It was all clean. And I was thinking, we were practically putting away our pens and paper. You know, we were, and then Mbappe has his thing. And, and whilst those are lovely moments to get, you think, oh no, that means that we have another half hour where we might get it wrong. You know, and, you know, but that's terrible. I don't really mean that. Do you know what I mean? But, but, but you it, did. It, I mean, I totally can it see it. Yeah. It turns it up again. And, and then, then you hope it goes all right. And gladly it did. The next one might not. But it, it was, it was, um, it was a fabulously thrilling game of football. But as an occasion, um, my favorite does remain the opening game of the 2010 World Cup, just because I think it was, it was so much bigger than football. You know, the, yeah. the, in fact, given, given all the issues around the World Cup we've just had, actually, you might argue, and I don't want to get too deep about this, but you might argue that that was only football. That was only football, because if you went outside of it, then you go into all sorts of territory that, you know, we arguments that have been well rehearsed for the last couple of years. But the South African World Cup was hugely bigger than football. Um, and to turn up at that stadium in Johannesburg in, in 2010 and see, you know, black and white Africans arm in arm, smiling, having the day of their lives um, was, was so um, massively symbolic um, to me. And not just to me. I mean, anybody who saw it, you couldn't help but be affected by it, given the, given the nature of, of the host country and where it had been and so on. Um, and then for a young kid out of, Soweto to score the you know a fairy tale goal like that that is the moment that puts the hairs up on the back of my neck because that that is what sport can do that nothing else can do and I mean nothing else I'll take that back maybe music can do that maybe music can do that but sport uh, gave that little boy called Shabalala um, you know a a moment that nothing else could offer him and it it meant everything it was a it was so much more than just a game that was whereas the world cup final we've just had was a wonderful 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 game but it was just a game Marquez. what do you say it's a really good ball it's shabalala Bafana! Goal for South Africa! 
Well, you could take that a bit further, couldn't you, given that you were talking about the culture of, the, of what it meant in South Africa and then thinking about the culture around what the Qatar World Cup meant. So it's very interesting to hear you talk about the 2010 significance and bringing together South Africa and bringing together, as you put it, you know, this is a goal for all, all, all of Africa. Um, it's, it's interesting because what makes football so significant is the culture that it's, it's yeah. fostered in. But you can still have, perhaps, I don't know, in fact, I should ask this as more of a question. <laughs> <laughs> With that World Cup final, it can, can it still be the greatest final ever in the complicated context that it exists in? Well, I believe it can, actually. I do believe it can. And, and please don't for one moment think I minimise the many issues around it. But I, I think, uh, and I appreciate this is desperately oversimplistic, so, so take me with a pinch of salt. But in the end, I, I would prefer to engage and learn and understand and um, interact than argue, battle, cancel and row. And um, not everybody would agree with that. But I'm, I, I think at the end of it all, not least because out of sheer good fortune, it was a terrific World Cup. Um, I think we can mark it up as something that shone a light on a few issues that wouldn't otherwise have been shone and and provided the world with an opportunity to um, look at itself. And so, look, let's talk more about, um, let's talk about, about players in particular. Let's talk about Lionel Messi because it seems to me that he is somebody who is, your commentary is kind of associated with him, which must must feel like a bit of a bizarre state of affairs, right? As, as <laughs> possibly the greatest player of all time. And you've got so many moments of your voice tied up in there. How has it been to to try and communicate that, that gift that he has on the ball? Well, um, first of all, I wouldn't associate myself with him. I'd want to make that absolutely clear. Um, if, if others do, well, that's, that's very flattering. But it, it's... Um, actually quite challenging only because he has so many brilliant moments um and and the challenge again you'll identify with this as a broadcaster is to try and find different ways of saying essentially the same thing um yeah uh, and, you know and i i have been lucky because of the champions league work i've done down the years and so on i've seen Messi play a lot and i've been lucky to see some of his most beautiful moments perhaps the most beautiful of which came you know, over the last couple of months. Um, and you hear so many others that you're not at and other commentators are dealing with very, very well. And, and you, you sort of think, where do we go next? You know, otherwise it just becomes a, a blur of same old, same old. And um, sort of, you sort of feel that he deserves better than that. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, so that's, I mean, that is the challenge, but it, it's... Um, it's a it's a massively privileged challenge. I mean, who who wouldn't give everything for the chance to see Messi play once, and to have seen him play and score twice in the World Cup final um, is is an extraordinary thing. And I, you know, I sort of pinch myself saying, what have I done to deserve that? Yeah, and yeah. it's about summoning up those. Because there's a limit to the number of... You don't, I guess, want to be always grasping for, like, 
a brand new word in those moments, do you? you no. A lot of it's about delivery, obviously. But yeah, what, what, is, th- what are you well, thinking? I think delivery, and uh, again, uh, you, you said it earlier, not me, um, uh, allowing the occasion to speak for itself. Mm. If, you know, if Messi scores a goal, um, everybody's loving it. And the best soundtrack is the crowd, actually. Mm. Um, which is why it's lovely as a commentator to get a really distinct goal. And it's why I'm quite glad that that goal he scored that only just crossed the line in the World Cup final didn't turn out. And I know I have this in common with everybody else who commentated on that for television and radio, didn't turn out to be the one. Um, yeah. Because, you know, was it, is it, could it, you know? And as a commentator, those are really frustrating moments because you can't give it the kind of bosh, definitive, that's it messy wow moment because you're not quite sure it was even in um <laughs> so you know so so um that was a relief but you know those goals happen um and the, and again this just underlines how unimportant the commentator is really as a commentator that might be um slightly less fulfilling um but it doesn't mean it wasn't a goal you know uh, we, we our impact yeah. on the game is nil um and it, you can only reflect what's what's put in front of you. Do you have uh, a messy goal that you feel like you really... Can you call to mind one that you feel like you really cracked? Um, well, I, I was very lucky to do a goal he scored in the Champions League um, for Barcelona against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu when he, yeah. when he danced through from the halfway line and just walked past them and scored an amazing goal um, in the Champions League. And it was an extraordinary match, or pretty much as dramatic as the World Cup final, actually. And he just scored. Uh, it was a, just a ridiculous goal um, that I don't think anybody else could score. And um, uh, and from my point of view, I didn't foul it up. <laughs> but here's Messi. Away from two, three, four. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. How good is he? A near supernatural goal from Lionel Messi. He has wriggled and tiptoed his way to the gates of Wembley Stadium. He is just brilliant. Best player in the world, bar none. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills, or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. So is there an early moment when you thought, I've got to work in this game? Like millions of little boys and girls, when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, I commentated on myself scoring against, you know, my brothers in the park. Um, but doesn't everybody do that? You know, I, I commentated on everything. I did I did I, I didn't grow up in a family that went to football. So um I I very much, you know, locked myself in my bedroom on a Saturday afternoon and listened to the radio. And then when I was old enough, was allowed to stay up and watch Match of the Day and all of those sorts of things that, that people of my generation would, would also say. But I didn't go to matches. So I was I was really um, fascinated by the broadcasting as much as I was by the football. Um, I was really into that stuff, but I didn't take it seriously. I didn't I didn't even sort of pipe dream about it uh, until I left university, really. And I was a I was a trainee accountant and I thought I'll pack it in and chase a dream and I did so there you are I chased a dream I, I've been lucky several times along the way mm. and how and who did you enjoy listening to who were your influences well my influences as, as a young person were on the radio chiefly I mean um the, the the great BBC radio commentators of the day Peter Jones Brian Butler uh, which which to the generation after me probably are are names that have drifted out of the conversation, but they were they were beautiful wordsmiths. They had um, lovely intonation. Peter Jones was a was a Welsh guy who used the English language gloriously. I mean, gloriously was a simply wonderful um, uh, enabler of the radio listener. You know, to to feel as though they were there. His, he was so evocative. And, and Brian Butler, who had a gloriously um, deep voice, as if he'd smoked 10 cigars before coming on, on air. And, and uh, he, too, had a vocabulary to die for. And uh, those, were, those were the guys who were at the top of the game when, when sort of late 70s, early 80s 
as I was in that very impressionable stage. The Welsh have a bit of an advantage, don't they, with their, uh, with their <laughs> yeah. lovely lilting accents? They can, they can talk. In terms of, so we talked a bit about the football, but I'd love to hear more of your kind of, it doesn't even have to be within the context of games you've commentated on necessarily, but things, moments that you've really enjoyed. What? But within that, where do you, where have you really loved to travel to? Is there a particular stadium that you feel like this is it? Of the big ones, my, my favourite would be uh, Real Madrid. Just mm-hmm. because, again, it's such, um, well, all sorts of things. It's, it's a wonderfully evocative place. You know, you, it, the sense of, of extraordinariness is great. There, You know you're, you're somewhere that really matters. Uh, it happens to have a, a very good position for the commentators. So your perspective on the game is good. So from, from that pragmatic um, point of view, it's, it's good too. But uh, anyone who's been there knows that it's, it's like, and I'm not the first person to have coined this phrase, but it's like a wedding cake. You know, it's like more and more white tears going up into the sky. And there's there's something kind of dreamy and heavenly about it. So I, I, any chance to go there is is a joy. But actually, you know, I over the years, I've tended to enjoy going to the quirky little places. I love an early round tie in the FA Cup. You know, mm. I remember doing an FA Cup tie when Histon beat Leeds and I've more recently been to... Hampton and Richmond or Braintree Town or whatever, any of these sorts of games where the, the nature of it is that because television is there, it's for them a big occasion. And as a, as a commentator also, having started this conversation by saying, what's the point of the commentator? Because everybody knows everything about Arsenal and Man United. They don't know everything about Hampton and Richmond. And you've got a story to tell. You've got actually information you can impart um, and what's more, at that level, you get to meet the people. You can go and shake hands and look into their eye and say, hey, what do you do? And, you know, the, the bloke can say, well, I'm the left back. But, you know, only when I've finished painting someone's house or whatever, you know. And there's a, there's a, th- th- these are real accessible human beings. And mm. sport, sport is best when we remember it's about human beings. Yeah. Did you um? Uh, what was it like talking about um Iceland at the World Cup? I feel like that was a that was a huge kind of per- people meet the massive stage as well. You mean Iceland at the Euros? Ice- at the Euros, my bad, of course. Yeah, no, no, no. The that well, I mean that was fun, except that of course we were dealing with them beating England, which which yes. which kind of meant that you you couldn't rejoice in them in quite the same way. Um, I was saying to someone the other day that um. It would have been interesting if if one of Morocco's victims at the last World Cup had been England and whether we'd still feel the same way about them, because I grew to love the Moroccans. I don't know about you. I thought Moroccans were fantastic. And it, and it was it was a great pleasure because I got to see two or three of their special games. But um, I, I love the Iceland story. I, I thought the Iceland story was 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 fantastic. And, and it's what's special is that it's a moment in time. You know, I think it's improbable that we'll get Iceland again at the that stage because they're a tiny country who happened to scratch together an 11 you know mm. the statistical chances of them putting together another 11 that works quite like that you know are, are are not good from their perspective but they had they had personality they had humanity and funnily enough of course they had a commentator who made himself inadvertently famous he went um i think pretty viral for for getting thrilled when iceland had their moments and I met him, actually. I went up and said, Cor, you're the man, you know. And he was 
deeply um, shy, embarrassed, had no wish to have this profile at all. And of course, commentating for the most part on Icelandic club football, he'd, he'd never known anything like it. But it was from the heart and um, he did it beautifully. Uh, and I'm sure he looks back on it really happily now. But yeah, those those are it's fun when it's different. All we ask mm. for, you're the same. All we ask for is a narrative. Yeah. Sport needs a narrative. As long as there's a narrative, it's a great soap opera. And it needs the yes. stories to keep turning over. And, you know, it's, in any given game, you sit down before the game and you think, right, what's the, what's the story? And when there's an obvious and a, you know, we like extremes. We like the best against the worst. You know, all of that sort of thing. It's hardest when it's in the middle and there's no jeopardy. You know, you need you need a narrative and you need jeopardy. If there's nothing on it, we might as well all go home. Well, we're speaking a few weeks out of the uh, the last 16 of the Champions League. Lots of fans in the UK will uh, associate you with the Champions League these days. And the competition, of course, is going to undergo quite a radical change from 2024-25. So qualification for knockout stages is uh, is decided by a league system. There's also going to be a 50% increase in Champions League games. What do you, what do you make of that? How do you, where, where's all the narrative going to be in all of these? Well, honestly, Kate, I don't know because I haven't got my head around it yet. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the honest truth. Um, I, listen, when the Champions League first came in, at the start of the 1990s, there was a great outcry of this can never be the same again, uh, because back in the day, it used to be the European Cup, which was a knockout competition, not even seeded. So you could get the two biggest clubs in the first round and one would be knocked out by the other. And that was then done for the season. They got to play two games. Mm -hmm. um, of course, it's also huge now that the um, competition needs and indeed the clubs themselves need the guarantee of playing a certain number of home games against premium opposition because that's how the competition wipes its face. Um, I hope it's going to be okay and that we'll all get used to it. Um, you know, it's not that long ago that if Manchester United played Real Madrid or Liverpool played Juventus or even Manchester City played Paris Saint-Germain, two of the sort of recently rich clubs, it was... It was wow, this only happens once every 20 years. Well, mm. even now, this happens kind of all the time now. They're, they're, you know, it's part of the pattern of the game and we seem to be consuming it quite happily. Um, others might disagree with that, I don't know. It remains the Champions League, a fabulous competition of, of the best players in, in Europe and indeed from around the world into Europe. Um, and I hope it'll stay like that. I, hope, I, I suspect that it'll take on a similar rhythm to the, that which we have now, which is that the group stages will happen and they'll have their moments and there might be one or two lovely little underdog stories. But by November, we'll all be saying, well, of course, it doesn't really start till the knockout stage. And then we'll get to the knockout stage and it'll be the knockout stage and we'll enjoy it in the way we always have. But um, we'll see. Makes me think, of course, of the fact that you're uh, thinking about maybe closed systems. The fact that you're um, you're a league, league commentator for NBC, so an American audience who uh, yeah. who are used to that sort of thing, a slightly different topic of conversation. But have you found you've had to adapt for an American audience? No, but very easy answer, no, because they don't want us to. Um, I think mm. one of the reasons, long before I had anything to do with it, this is not self-aggrandizement, but one of, one of the reasons NBC has been a success with the American audience is because 
they set out to give the authentic experience, as it were, to do to to provide the Premier League as the Premier League would be provided uh, in the UK to to British viewers. Um, and so they don't want it explained. They don't want to be patronised. They don't want to be um, told how offside works or and they don't want it to be called soccer. They want it to be huh. football as football is. So it was a very easy conversation. Please do it the way you've always done it, because that's what the Americans want to consume. Um, before we before we wrap things up, one of the I think you perhaps one of your I don't know if it'll be one of your favourites, but one great one of the great nights in recent years was was Roma's defeat of Barcelona at the Stadio Olimpico, and your words on that night have become pretty legendary. I know you'll probably deny it because that is your way, but it is true. Um, can you can you remember your experience of delivering that moment? Um, yeah, it was one of those nights, Kate, when when happily my, my sort of my planets aligned um, because I was very relaxed that night. Uh, mm. The fact is that Liverpool, Manchester City was on the other side. And as far as I was concerned, that's what everybody was watching. And I yeah. was at the Olympic Stadium, Rome. Messi was playing, funnily enough, that night, not very well. Um, and um, it was impossible for Rome to turn this thing round. And mm. I thought, well, I'll, you know, it doesn't matter. Go and enjoy it. And so mm. I was prepared, but it was, and it certainly wasn't a chore, but it wasn't going to be the night of my life. And it wasn't until uh, Roma had to make up a three-goal deficit on Barcelona, which just wasn't going to happen. And they scored the first two goals. And it was only then that I thought, do you know what? If they happen to score again, this is going to be a thing. And then, bless him, Manolas scored this goal. And, you know, the least likely scorer. And and people ask about the moment itself. And the truth is that... um, the line, and I'm about to break my own rules by saying it, but I'd be disingenuous not to because it's been so often quoted back to me. When I said Roma have risen from their ruins, that was a line that fortunately came to mind in the moment because I hadn't got a clue who scored the goal. It was just a big centre-half who wasn't meant to be scoring and he got a flick at the near post and I had to, I had to find something to say until the director found him in the crowd of players and ah. I could see the number on his shirt. And and so uh, that goes in. I eventually see who it is. It's Manolas. What did I know about him? He's Greek. Vendetta! Roma have risen from their ruins! Manolas, the Greek god in Rome! The unthinkable unfolds before our eyes! This was not meant to happen. This could not happen. This is happening. Barcelona, extraordinary. Eight minutes from elimination. And Di Francesco does not know where to go. Iniesta does not know where to look. It is a Greek from Mount Olympus who has come to the seven hills of Rome and pulled up a miracle. Can you tell us about the atmosphere in the place or were you just so in in your own moment or can you feel how it felt? Um, no, it, I mean, it felt crazy. It felt absolutely crazy. Um, you know, that this was an impossibly good night for Roma. It's a very famous football club in one of the world's most famous cities. It's not as if they haven't seen big stuff before, but you know what Italian football support's like. I mean, they are a pretty manic bunch. And um, and this this thing that shouldn't have happened, happened. Um, and, and it was just a remarkable place to be in. 
and coming out of there afterwards, you know, they're all on their Vespers and all of that, zipping up and down the roads and, you know, waving their flags and all of that. And it was a, it was a fabulous place to be, actually. It must have been such an amazing experience. Um, we had a few listener uh, questions that came in as well. Um, Connor on Instagram asked, what's the most fun name to shout during a commentary? Most fun name? <laughs> yeah, you um, know. Oh, gosh. Well, you don't, some of them are really resonant. You know, back in the day, shouting Shearer was great. Some names just work when you shout huh. them. You know, Shearer! It's one of those ones where you can let the final syllable kind of go on and on and on, if you like. Um, so, oddly, of the great goal scorers, Shearer was was uh, what I would pick out. And another, that possibly is a slightly dull answer. Um, no! The most, the most difficult ones are the double-barreled names. Not because they're difficult to say, but because, you know, in the moment, you want something sharp. And yeah. um, if it's Oxlade-Chamberlain, it kind of takes too long to say. Not his fault, <laughs> by the way. But, but, you know, you want to be moving on from there. The last one is from Andy Happel. He said, what is the most challenging game that you've had to commentate on and why? Ooh, um, well... I mean, I could give you a serious answer to this, but uh, the serious answer, funnily enough, would probably be on the day of 9-11. Wow. And um, I remember sitting in my hotel room that day as events were um, unravelling in New York and somebody rang me, Jim Rosenthal, actually, who was presenting our show on ITV that night. He said, you need to put the telly on. And I said, I've got the telly on, actually, but I'm watching a video. This is shows the era it was in. I was watching a video of Boa Vista. So I knew the players for the Champions League game at Anfield that night. And he said, turn it off. This is more important than you knowing the Boa Vista players. Anyway, obviously I saw what happened and it was a terrible, terrible day for humanity. And they played the game that night. And uh, you sort of didn't know where to go with it. Um, Michael Owen scored a really good goal for Liverpool against Boa Vista. I've spoken to him about it since. And the sense of, so what? Uh, and you're, you're, in terms of tone, you're stuck between, well, presumably people are consuming this football match and want to be excited by it and sports and escape. And, you know, but on the other hand, pretending that Michael Owen belting one in against Boa Vista kind of mattered on a day that the world was changing. Um, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't square that with yourself, really. So I would say that was that was perhaps the most awkward one uh, I've ever did. Funnily enough, um, not funnily enough, I was um, I worked on West Ham's game in the Europa Conference League in September, an hour after the Queen died, and that was Ooh. that was an interesting one too. Um, but oh, I remember. there you are. Th th those those are the kind of tonal gear changes that uh, that are the most awkward. And sorry to drag the tone down, but um, there you are. That's that's the truthful answer to the question. That's a wonderful answer, Peter, because I think that really sums up the the crux of it all, which is that you're trying to place the football in the context of the moment and you're experiencing the moment and everybody else is and you're trying to act as some kind of conduit both for the game and for what's going on out in the real world. So I yeah. think it's quite a, good, quite a good thing to end on. Thank you so much for talking to us, Peter. You were absolutely fantastic. It was really, really interesting. Bless you. Thanks, Kate. Really enjoyed it. I don't know about you, but I feel as though that whole conversation answers the question so beautifully of what the point is of football commentators. 
the best of them basically act as not just as a bridge for us, but also as seasoning to the feast of it all. I've met Peter a few times and I was always struck by how modest he is as a, as a guy and as a professional. And I think that's one of the things that plays in so well to his quality as a commentator. He doesn't think of him as the big, himself as the big guy who's like making the big difference. He just wants to do the job to the best of his ability. And I think that's what gives him such a connection with football fans. I really hope you enjoyed it. Please do remember to get in touch with us to tell us what you thought of today's episode on Twitter at Football Ramble. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at KVL Mason and I'll speak to you very soon. The Football Ramble is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.